Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hey, how you doing? I'm Lee Lonsberry. We're still fighting the coronavirus. No problem, though. We're Utahns. We can handle it. It'll mean certain disruptions will continue to find their way into our lives, our lifestyle, and the way we go about our business, uh, and the way we go about learning and interacting with our coworkers and classmates and family members will continue to change. We'll get added advice and guidance and orders uh, from the county and state and national leaders. But we can do it. We can endure, of course. You've heard me beating this drum. We've got it in us. We've got the metal, the fortitude, the perseverance. There's really nothing uh, that the world can throw at us that we can't overcome. That's kind of the attitude I'm taking into this weekend and hope to ride through the duration of this little coronavirus story. Because years from now, when I tell uh, and remind little baby Piper, my my new baby girl, about five months old, uh, when I tell her about uh, this chunk of life, her first little months on this planet, I want to tell her about how great uh, and resilient uh, her neighbors were and what a great example her mom set uh, following the good guidance of uh, socially distancing herself and adjusting and adapting uh, to overcome the threat posed by this uh, coronavirus. I think I'm going to be able to tell those stories, and I think they're going to be inspirational to her. And I'd invite you to do the same. Remember uh, the sacrifices that you're making today, uh, because they will inspire uh, the future generations when you share the stories of what we went through together uh, during these months. And we're going to get through it, and we will look back fondly at the sacrifices that we made, and we'll be proud of them. Uh, sorry, I'm not sure <laughs> what got me going on uh, that little rant there, but I was just looking out the window here, and I can see uh, folks doing what they can to distance themselves from one another. Uh, I see far fewer cars on the road. Uh, I know that we're taking a, a big hit. Our lifestyles are uh, vastly different. So to our elections. That's the best segue I could come up with there. Elections right now are, are very, uh, very different. Here in the state of Utah, you know uh, very well that for individuals seeking certain public office, uh, those offices which require, uh, say, a primary nomination, there are a number of ways to get onto the primary ballot. Here in the state of Utah, we got two paths. That's signatures, that's convention. Uh, in the race for governor, there are a number of folks who uh, have declared their intention of gathering signatures to qualify for the primary ballot. Two of those individuals have surpassed the threshold needed and have guaranteed themselves a spot on the primary ballot, those two candidates being Thomas Wright and Spencer Cox. Now, uh, there are a number of other folks running for governor as well. Of course, uh, Chris Peterson running as a Democrat. We've spoken to him before on this program. Jeff Burningham has uh, been on this program a number of times. Uh, Jan Garbett, the most recent entrant into this race for the governor's mansion. Nikki Pino, Zach Moses, and of course, John Huntsman, who, uh, running alongside Michelle Kafusi, Provo mayor, has thus far only had 16,511 of the signatures which she has collected to gain uh, a position, a guaranteed position on the primary ballot so far certified by the lieutenant governor's office. Now, what does that mean? Um, uh, it means 
that uh, there's still a ways to go for Mr. Huntsman and the rest uh, who would uh, be seeking these signatures. And there have been calls by many, including Jeff Birmingham uh, and others, uh, to halt the signature gathering efforts. Because what it means to gather signatures, you've got someone uh, with these printed out packets, a bunch of lines on there, going door to door to door, uh, speaking with individuals saying, hey, uh, a few questions for you. Uh, First off, are you on the Republican side? Are you a registered Republican? Have you signed a similar petition on behalf of anyone else? And would you be willing to sign right here? You have to do that 28,000 times to guarantee a position on the primary ballot as a Republican and as a candidate for governor uh, and Democrat as well. Um, So there have been calls to change that system to limit the, what, the social interactions. Okay, we've got this coronavirus thing, and uh, if you've got people knocking on people's door-to-door-to-door, somewhere along the way there's a chance they might pick something up and spread to the next door they knock on. All right, pretty common sense, uh, which would make some folks gun-shy uh, to pursue uh, that, that way of getting themselves guaranteed onto the primary ballot. But you know what? Law, the way, the, the way statute is written here in the state of Utah, that's the only option you have right now, until yesterday, when the governor made it known that he, through executive order, would be changing the process a little bit. And uh, the lieutenant governor's office put out uh, a memorandum through Justin Lee, director of elections, uh, explaining a bit of this new way for candidates to gather signatures. Let me walk through uh, some of the Q&A, some of the the ways of understanding what the governor uh, ordered yesterday. The, The first question being, does someone still have to witness the person sign the signature page? Answer, no. The requirement to have a circulator witness an interested voter sign the petition has been suspended. When I described the original original process, the circulator, that was the person who used to knock on the door, uh, put a petition in your face, explain the parameters, and ask you if you'd like to sign it. Next question, explaining the new uh, order given by the governor. May the pages be returned to the candidate electronically? Yes, they may. The pages bearing the handwritten signature may be scanned and emailed or faxed back to the candidate. Next question, should voters send signed pages directly to the lieutenant governor's office or county clerk? No. Signature pages must be collected by the candidate before being submitted to the appropriate election officer. Must the signature be handwritten? Yes. That remains in place. Do election officials check every single signature? Yes. The new order from the governor is this. He is allowing for candidates still seeking signatures to uh, send these petition pages to potential signatories. Those individuals can then print out that sheet, sign it, and then somehow electronically scan that document, send it back to the candidate, and then that candidate uh, is then able to deliver those to the lieutenant governor's office specifically uh, the director of elections. Now, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure if that makes the process easier or more difficult. There are kind of two arguments, two things to look at here. Does this facilitate a candidate's ability to gain signatures and ultimately eclipse the number needed to guarantee their placement on the primary ballot? And then the bigger question is, should the governor have stepped in at all? 
And I, if I'm honest, don't know the answer. I'd be curious to know what you think, uh, because there are a number of candidates uh, who have uh, both running for governor, uh, also running for certain uh, state Senate seats, state House seats, who have already accomplished the task uh, statutorily put before them in their effort to secure a position on the primary ballot. And yet there are a few candidates, a number of them, who have not yet uh, gotten there. And so now, uh, arguably, they'll be having uh, a little bit uh, of extra opportunity given them to pull off what others have uh, been able to accomplish under the exact same circumstances. Not sure if it's fair. Uh, not sure if it's legal even. Uh, if I'm honest, I think time is the only thing that's going to help us understand this. Uh, time and lawsuits. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'm going to be speaking to uh, a fascinating guest. Uh, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation. We're going to be speaking uh, with Julie McAdams. She is the wife of Representative Ben McAdams, who has been hospitalized now for a week after testing positive for the coronavirus. We're going to check in on the family, see how the McAdams family is doing. Again, Julie McAdams, my guest next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.